Well, now let's get our Bibles and let's uh, open up to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Today we're going to uh, consider a question together, probably one of the most important questions you could be asked. And that is, what happens after we die? Not exactly uh, how to start off every conversation, (laughs) but an important question to think about. In an interview with an MIT scientist named Lex Friedman, he was asked that question. What do you think happens after we die? I think his answer was pretty profound, and I quote, I think, uh, I think, um, I'm not smart enough to even think of that. <laughs> MIT scientist. Now, I, I, just, I respect that. That's an honest answer, right? He says, I'm, well, this is one of the smartest people at one of the leading intellectual institutions in the world who admits he's not smart enough to even think of that. Now, if we're honest, no one is smart enough, that is, to think about that. In our own intellect, in our own cognitive abilities, no one is smart enough to know that answer on our own. And so, what sometimes results in that is many people decide to push it off and not think about it intentionally until they come face to face with death in some way, whether that's the death of a loved one or maybe something traumatic happens in your life or that diagnosis causes us to see very clearly just how fragile this life really is. And so we usually don't try to think about death until those moments, but, but we don't need to wait until those moments to ask that question, nor to find the answers to that question. In fact, God has graciously answered those questions for us all throughout his word, the Bible. There are many, many places throughout scripture that tell us what happens after we die. We won't be able to get to all of them. We'll look at a, a few today, but, but more than, than scanning all of scripture, which I hope we're doing at home as well as we're reading through the week, I want to I focus on one thought this morning concerning the last things, and that is knowing that the joy that awaits us in Christ in the next life, that will increase our faith and our hope and our joy in this life. So we're not going to focus on death as a, as a morbid introspection, but we're going to look outside of ourselves. We're going to see what God says about the topic and how that is meant to increase our joy here and now. As it's already been said, through the summer, we've been going through our statement of faith, our Sovereign Grace Church family, statement of faith we all hold in common. And today is the last sermon in that series. I've enjoyed it. I've I've been challenged by it. I hope you have as well. And so today's message is entitled, Last Things. As we look at different passages, we're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, and then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. So we are always of good courage. 
we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word this morning. You answer so many questions that mankind ponders and foolishly tries to figure out in our own strength and our own intelligence. But Lord, we confess we are not enough, but you are. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our minds, our ears, our hearts, that we would see the truth in your word, Lord, and that our joy would be full in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we focus on this topic of last things this morning, I want us to briefly consider three aspects of these last things. We're going to focus on the reality of death, the coming judgment, and then finally the difference it makes now. So first of all, the reality of death. It's important to remember that a holy God made us in his image, and that includes these bodies. Now that means our bodies are important, and taking care of these bodies, being good stewards of our physical health, that's one way we bring God glory and can show gratitude to the Lord for this gift of life that he's given us. Now we all want to live as long as we can, We want to glorify God with these bodies. That is true. However, the fact remains that no matter how much you exercise, how healthy of a diet you have, how great your medical insurance may be, how great your DNA and your heritage is from healthy lineage, or how many steps your smartwatch records in a day and rewards you at the end of the day. All those things considered, none of them will keep away death. Every single person in this room, watching online, every single person will die. It's important we recognize that. It's it's important for us to talk about that Because there's been way too much fear of death being promoted nowadays. And it's it's extra tragic that Christians can be roped into that fear of death. So it's important we face this head on. It's important that we just need to recognize death as a reality. We have a 100% mortality rate. All of us will die. We are in a constant state of decay. Here's here's just one example. Scientists say, I don't know how they measure this and I don't want to know, but scientists say that the average adult sheds over 500 million dead skin cells every single day. You know when you're dusting your house 
You're dusting down your car. You're changing your sheets. You know why you get a, you get a shower often? It's because we're dealing with the constant effects of death every day. We're decaying. These physical bodies are breaking down. Now, this isn't just to sound morbid, but it is a reality we should face, and we should do so without fear for those who are in Christ. Death is a reality. We know this from Scripture because sin is a reality. When God made Adam and Eve, there was no death because originally there was no sin. But when mankind rebelled against God, He opened the door wide and welcomed in sin, and sin brought death with it. And so today, that's why people die. That's why animals die. That's why everything living eventually dies, because it is of the damaging effects of sin in our broken world. But that's where the good news of the gospel breaks in. Jesus came and lived a sinless life, that life that Adam should have lived, the life you and I should have lived. And since Jesus did not sin, death has no legal claim on him. Jesus lived perfectly without sin in our place. Then Jesus went to the cross and received our death sentence in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin. He became the voluntary substitute target of God's wrath that we deserved. Jesus was condemned for our sin so that by faith in him, we would be forgiven and cleansed and given the gift of eternal life. His death would bring us life. Now, I know we hear that a lot, but I pray, church, that never gets old to our ears, that never gets dull to our hearts. His death brings us life, and we should live as if we know that's true. The Bible calls Jesus the first fruit of the resurrection, which reminds us that not only did Jesus live a perfect life and die on our behalf, but to top it all off, he permanently defeated death itself by rising from the dead. His resurrection put the exclamation point on the death of death. Praise the Lord for all who would trust in him for all time. And so therefore Jesus not only promises us eternal life, but he proved he can deliver on that promise by defeating death himself. And so as the first fruits of the resurrection, that means Jesus went first. He defeated the foe we could not. And all who follow Jesus in this life, we will follow him in his resurrection. He paid the price. We get the benefit. We inherit his victory. Now with that in mind, hear hear our text, verses 8 and 9 again. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church, Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Listen to that beautiful poetic imagery. To be away from the body, meaning when we die, 
means to be at home with the Lord. Let that comfort you, church. There's no waiting room. There's no purgatory. To be absent in this body is to be present with the Lord for the Christian. So death for the Christian, it's, it's closing our eyes here and it's opening our eyes there. It's like walking through a doorway, leaving behind everything that is sinful and sad and broken, leaving behind death and entering into eternal joy in the presence of Jesus. Now that's the wonderful promise we're given. Most wonderful promise we could imagine. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we are going to be welcomed into the presence of Jesus forever. So, dear ones, don't let death scare you. Don't be afraid when you hear all these voices. We don't live foolishly, but we don't also live in fear either. We live in faith. Paul says we, don't, we, we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's so relevant in our times now. So many things we hear is just riddled with fear. Christian, live with faith. Knowing death is not something you should fear, but we can face head on with faith in Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul says to the Christian, you are to always be of good courage. He says, we are always of good courage. Now that sounds a little pie in the sky, doesn't it? We're always of good courage. Now, we know Paul suffered. We know he was discouraged. We know he wept bitterly. But he was still always of good courage. We can have all those emotions and we can have all those struggles knowing our foundation is secure. Always of good courage. Knowing that the worst that can happen in this life is that we get to leave it and see Jesus. That the end of this life is just the beginning of the next. And oh, what a beginning that will be. Our statement of faith says it this way. Death entered God's good creation as a result of Adam's sin, and now all people are subject to God's curse of death. Yet believers have no need to fear because Christ has conquered death and delivered us from its dominion or its power. Although our bodies return to dust for a time, death for the Christian has become a doorway to paradise where our souls enter immediately into God's presence to behold and enjoy our Savior and to rest from our labors. Amen. That's what awaits the Christian when we die. But now another question, what then? What about after that? What about Jesus' return? What about when he sets up his kingdom? The Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die, then after that, the judgment. And so now we turn our attention to the coming judgment. Look back in our text in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due. For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So church, there's coming a time, and we don't know when, that Jesus will return for his church. 
Now, without getting into all the endless debates about raptures and pre-mid, post-millennial, let's just leave all that behind for a moment and let's stand on the sure promise that should unite us all, Jesus is coming again. That is something that we look forward to and that is something that we hold to and that is something that changes us even now. The first time Jesus came, he came as a helpless babe in a manger. The second time, he is coming as conquering king in all power, in all glory. The first time, he came as the Savior who died for our sins. The second time, he will come as righteous judge. Jesus will come again and set up his kingdom on earth, and one of the first things he does is to judge all mankind. Now, You might say, wait just a minute. I thought Jesus took our judgment for us. If Jesus took our judgment for us, then then we're not going to be judged, are we? You are correct. He did take our judgment. You see, we're all going to stand before God and be judged. But the judgment for those who follow Christ is a completely different thing from the judgment for those who have rejected Christ. For the Christian, the punishment for our sin was completely and eternally paid for at the cross. We are not going to be judged for our sins a second time because we are already cleansed and washed clean as we trust in the judgment Jesus received on our behalf. Amen? That will never change. Which means what we've already celebrated. When the Christian dies, we, we will immediately be welcomed into God's presence. Loved ones who have died, who trusted in Christ, they left this earth and are immediately in God's presence. Both my parents have gone on to be with the Lord. Both trusted in Christ. And so it gives me great joy and great hope to know I will see them again one day. You will see your loved ones again who have trusted in Christ and have gone on from this life. They are not dead. They are more alive than we are and more joy than we could ever imagine. But at a later time, when Jesus returns, every Christian who has died and every Christian who is still alive at that moment When Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth, we will all stand before him to receive commendation and reward from Jesus himself. Now that deserves a sermon all by itself, but we're going to receive commendation and reward from Jesus. And one of those rewards that Christians will receive at the judgment will be a new body. Bodies that won't get sick, hearts and minds that won't sin, We will be perfected. We will be like Jesus, given his resurrected body or body, a body like his resurrected one. And we will be made like him, just like he promised. I like the way our statement of faith puts it. When the dead in Christ are raised, their perishable bodies will be redeemed and made like Christ's imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual body. Those in Christ who are alive, shall likewise be changed. And thus will all God's glorified people forever 
bear the image of their Savior. Wow. That's what the Christian has to look forward to. When we stand before the Lord in the time of judgment, because Christ received our judgment for us, there is nothing but grace and reward and joy that awaits you, Christian. But we have to consider the other side of this. Because that will not be the case for those who reject Christ. Their judgment will be fearful and terrible. Listen to how Jesus himself explains what will happen. And he uses the metaphor of sheep and goats. For Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and on the goats, or the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Picture the good shepherd who knows his sheep, those who have trusted in him in this life for salvation. They will be welcomed into his presence and cared for by the good shepherd forever. Not because of our merit or our goodness or our love, but because of his. His grace, his goodness, his sacrifice, his forgiveness, his love for us. Those who trust in Christ now will live with Christ forever. That's what you have awaiting. But Jesus mentions goats. Those who do not trust in Christ in this life. And he says this. Then he, speaking of himself, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Now, church, there's, there's no way to sugarcoat this, and, and we should never try. Jesus is the only way, period. Jesus is the only way. Trust in him now, and you'll be with him forever. Reject him in this life. And from Jesus' own mouth, he tells you what will happen. You will spend eternity in hell with the devil and his demons. Now, invariably, when we talk about hell, our natural instinct is to say, not me. The great preacher and theologian, Jonathan Edwards, said, Almost all natural men, when they hear about hell, they flatter themselves that they will escape it. 
Now, when we talk about Christians, I want to be really, really clear. Simply believing that Jesus died on the cross does not make you saved. But do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sin? To know he is Savior is not enough. Is he your Savior? To grow up in church can be a wonderful gift, but it can also be one of the most deadly places to be if you have not fully trusted in him because you hear it over and over and your heart becomes numb to it or there's a false sense of security. That's not me. He's talking about hell. That's not me. How do you know that? Are you trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin? Or are you holding on to mom and dad's faith? Because there's a difference, my friend. There's a difference between believing, believing he died and believing he died for your sin. Which are you? Because the bottom line is, we will all spend eternity somewhere. You won't just go to sleep. You won't just cease to exist. Every person is eternal. Let that sink in. We will either spend eternity with Christ or eternity with the devil. There is no in-between from Jesus' own mouth. Now, let me address this. If, If that seems harsh, if that seems unjust... Maybe you've had a conversation with someone when you're sharing the gospel and and invariably judgment comes up. And they say, wait, 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 you said God is love. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, there are lots of good answers to that, but let me just offer one. And that is, that's the wrong question. A more appropriate question is, how could a holy God let any of us into his presence? How could a holy God allow any of us to be a moment in his presence with our sin, much less spend eternity with him? And the answer to that question is one word, Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the reason that sinners become saints, that rebels and outcasts become children of God. That those who are racked inside and out like you and me with the indwelling effects of sin, that we can be forgiven and made new and be adopted into the family of the holy God. And that that God would not tolerate us, but he says, you know what? I want to spend eternity with you, and I want you to know the eternal joy in my presence. How is that possible? How how can that happen? Only through Jesus. Because our God is so loving and so merciful and so forgiving that he sent his son to die in our place so that we would be reconciled. And it's by Jesus' grace and his love and his power that he defeated death and hell. He defeated the grave. He defeated our sin. He defeated Satan. And it's his victory that becomes our victory. And therefore, we get to sing with all the saints that wonderful proclamation, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our anthem, church. That is our hope. That is our promise. And that is the source of our joy.
knowing that should make this life a little more bearable, a little more joyful, a little more hopeful, knowing what awaits. Now, as important as it is to ask what happens when we die, there, there is a more pressing question for us right now, right here, and that is, how then should I live? What difference does all this make right now in my life? Back in our text in 2 Corinthians verse 9, Paul says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. There's the answer to that question. How then should I live? Whether in life or in death, our goal is to please and honor and glorify and magnify the name of Jesus. Eternity awaits. There's no doubt about it. But for now, life goes on. While we have breath in our bodies, life goes on. You've probably heard the moment we're born, we start to die. That may be true, but let me tell you this. We are not born to die. We are born to live. And we are born to live with purpose and live with a mission and live to glorify God in all we say and all we do and all we are. Paul echoes this same thought in his first letter to the Corinthians that after reminding the church that Jesus took the sting of death for us, he says this, Therefore, in light of that truth, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There are times as Christians we will hit a weak point, we will hit a brick wall, and we'll ask ourselves the question, what's the point in all this? Paul's reminding us, your labor is not in vain. Because if you're laboring in Christ, we're not laboring in our own strength anyway. We're laboring in the strength he provides. We can't save anybody, but praise the Lord, he does, and he decides to use us in these vessels of clay to preach his glorious treasured gospel. And we get to see him at work. Our labor is not in vain. Why? Because Christ is victorious. It's settled. We're not waiting on seeing his victory. He has already been victorious. Yes, we will see it fully realized when he comes. But Christ is already the victor. He's already on his throne. So Christian, be confident in this. Be confident knowing that your sins are forgiven. Be confident knowing that you are loved and you are adopted because the Lord of life has secured our eternal life with him. And with that confidence, we can be steady, unshakable, that our hearts and our hands can be at the work of the gospel right now, knowing that our labors are not in vain, knowing that our prayers are heard, knowing that the gospel is going forth in Chaska, in America, in South Africa. God's word is being proclaimed with all the doom and gloom we hear. It's time we hear the good news. God is still in control. His gospel is still setting the captives free, and God is still using his church as that vehicle to proclaim the truth. Prayer is, Lord, let us see your glory. Let your glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's not just a prayer, that's a promise. 
Church, God is at work. He is making all things new, and one day he will make all things new. Knowing, knowing the joy that awaits us in Christ in the next life should increase our hope and our faith and our joy in this life. Now, let's, let's state the obvious. That does not mean that as Christians, Jesus takes away all sickness and all suffering and all pain because we are all testaments that that continues on. And I think it's helpful to remember that even when Jesus walked the earth and the miracles that he performed, they were all temporary. You think about that? The blind person he healed, they eventually died. The little girl he raised from the dead, she eventually died. Lazarus, the most famous resurrection apart from Jesus's. Lazarus, he just got a temporary reprieve, but he died. Every miracle Jesus performed on the earth was temporary, save one, salvation. The one eternal miracle that Jesus performed and still performs today, and you and I are testaments to that. That miracle will never end. Yes, these bodies will break down. We will get sick, and yes, the Bible even tells us to pray for one another, and we can experience God's healing and God's grace. But let's remember, our hope is not in a physical healing in this life because it would be temporary anyway. He's got something even greater in store for us, and that is the eternal healing, the eternal blessing of being with him in his presence forever. Our statement of faith says, God's glorified people will inherit the kingdom from which all sin, sorrow, suffering, and death will be banished. Christ as king will set all of creation free from its bondage to corruption, making new the heavens and the earth and establishing his eternal rule in his consummated kingdom. Surrounded by unimaginable beauty, we will enjoy unhindered communion with our triune God, beholding him, serving him, worshiping him, and reigning with him forever and ever. Hallelujah. That day is coming. That day is coming when Christ returns and we will be with him. So here's what you have to look forward to. Either this life will end in death and you will go to be with him or you will be alive and he will come to be with you. Either way, we will be with Christ forever. Now let me close with this important sobering thought that I want every person, young or old, I want you to hear me. I want you to clue in. If you haven't, this is important. The Bible tells us there will come a day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. No exception. And so it comes down to this. Either we will joyfully bow our knees to the Lord in this life as sinners saved by grace and we will enjoy his presence forever. Or we will reject him in this life and on that day we will be forced 
to bow our knee, not as a welcome child of God, but as a conquered foe and enemy of God. And we will receive the full wrath of God. Which will you be? You say, well, pastor, I'm just not sure. I'm just ready to go eat lunch. The worst thing you can do is pretend this is not a big deal. Which will you be? Teenager, young person, adult, which one will you be? Well, I don't know that. You can. You can know right now. You can be sure. Not not based on my word, based on God's word. You can be sure right now without leaving this room today. Calling out upon Jesus. Repenting of your sins, which means to turn away. Asking him to forgive you of your sins. Turning from your old life of living for yourself and live for him. And you don't have to know every single thing that means. It just means you're responding to the truth of who Jesus is. That you're no longer looking at a cross as some decoration in a church, but you're seeing the cross as something done for you. So if you're not sure this morning, please don't leave here until you are sure. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. And there are there's a church full of people right here who can't wait to help, who can't wait to teach, to disciple, to love on you, to pray for you. We're going to be here this morning. I, I, don't, I don't want to just bolt out of here. If, if that's you, if you're saying right now, I know God's working on my heart. I know I don't need to leave here without surrendering my life to Jesus. We're right here. I'm not going to go anywhere. But ultimately, it's not about me or whoever would pray with you. It's about the Holy Spirit at work in you right now. He's the one who makes all things new. He's the one that takes the dead heart and makes it alive. Jesus is mighty to save. And for those of you this morning who already trust in Christ... You're already surrendered to him. And yet we know there are areas we need to grow in that surrender. God stands ready to help. God gives his grace. There's no condemnation for you. Rejoice that heaven is your home. But rejoice also that while there's breath in your body and in my body, we have a mission. And that is to tell others about what Jesus has done. What he's done for us and what he can do for others. So all this talk of heaven, may we rejoice, but may our end goal not only be for us to make it to heaven, but may we endeavor to take as many as we can with us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you and you alone are mighty to save. I pray for every heart in this room, everyone watching online, Lord, that if they have not surrendered their life to you fully and completely, that right now, today is the day of salvation. And Lord, those who are following you, those who are disciples, joyful disciples of you, Jesus, 
I pray you would bring hope and joy and encouragement that even as we face death itself, you have taken away its sting. And we long for that day of your appearing. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.